I've simply titled my sermon, as you read in the bulletin, The Meaning of the Cross. Maybe that's not a question to you. Maybe it is. We all have questions at some point in life. There's a point in time when we grow up. As little children, we start asking questions, much to the annoyance of our parents sometimes. But sooner or later, we start asking deeper questions. And then the woman will say, go ask your dad, or go ask the pastor. It happens to me sometimes. But the, the point is that we do ask questions about the meaning of life. We wonder, where did we come from? We wonder, why am I here? We wonder, what's my destiny? We wonder, where will I end up? I want to begin this morning with this question. What is your biggest question? We all have one, or a few. And as you think about that question, that may be in your heart, and it could be different for different people, I would like to ask this. What would you give to get the answer to that question? Let's say you knew that your deepest, most pressing, most burning question had an answer. And that answer was to be found if only you were willing to pay or to do or to whatever. What I also want to say is that there are a lot of people, organizations out there in our time and our culture that provide answers, all kinds of answers. Do you trust them? Do you believe what they're telling you? If you do this, adjust your life this way, set your life up that way. For instance, the business of advertising is about providing answers, meeting needs, or wants at the very least. When it comes to asking questions, advertisers are very quick to take advantage and cash in and and capitalize on people's wants or perceived wants. And, And a man told me one time he had experience and went to a car dealer lot and said the salesman had said, if they come to the dealer lot... With 5% interest, I can provide the other 95. That's how, let's say you have a question about a new vehicle. You want, you want to buy something. They will really go after you. So the idea is if you want to become popular, do this. You want to become rich? Here's a way to do that. You want to become happy? Try this. And so it goes. I read a piece this last week that uh, the Super Bowl happened apparently last February. I, I don't pay attention to those things. And so don't ask me who plays who and who wins. I, I, I'm, I'm totally clueless and I don't really care. But apparently, there's a lot of advertising that goes on, at least some advertising that goes on, and they paid $5.25 million for 30 seconds of television time. And this guy wrote, says, that's $175,000 per second. You imagine that? All to satisfy some perceived needs or once to answer some question, answer a perceived need. I'm not judging saying it's all wrong and say, that's business, that's just business, but you know, it's, it's trying to connect. We've grown up with advertising to the point it's a nuisance, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, it's everywhere. It's in grocery stores, it's in the roadsides, it's in, in showrooms, clothing stores, movies, and can't even turn on the TV without being bombarded or the, or the, or the, um, the, yeah, the, the computer and on and on it goes pop-ups and, and people try to 
to connect and hopefully to make me happy, fulfilled, satisfied, and and trying to find ways to sell, trying to find ways to draw in and to attract and and sometimes, and I'm, I'm all in favor of bulletins in the church, and I'm, I'm good with it, and I like the way it's done attractively, and, I, and it's good. But you know something? I've been told in the past, in this church sometimes, oh, we should promote it better. We should advertise it better. Yeah, I get that. Makes sense sometimes. But why is it that in some far-off country, where they don't have what we have to the extent that we have it, it's primitive. Outdoors may be very, very basic. They get one whiff, a bit of a news. There's going to be a Bible study, or there's going to be a presentation, or there's going to be a discussion, there's going to be a, a, a ministry. They drop what they're doing. They cancel what they got planned. They spend hours getting there in primitive transportation. You can't keep them away. In North America, it's the other way around. We can't dazzle it up enough. We can't glitter it up enough that people are drawn in or that they feel they want. You know why? Because the need isn't there. They're not thirsty. They're not hungry. That's the problem. We're so overfed, oversaturated, overmarinated with the culture around us that the Word of God has very little drawing power in our hearts anymore. And then here comes Jesus offers us something that's so disgusting, so repulsive, so totally all contrary to anything we know. We actually have no idea what, what the cross really is. And then he says, this is what I'm offering. Peace, hope, and love, but through this instrument. That's what he's offering. So I want to ask this question. What's your deepest question? And it has to be something more than about the temporal stuff that's gone here and gone tomorrow. I like gadgets, I like electronics, but they're here and gone tomorrow. Uh, some of you like something else. Our deepest questions are not the here, they are about the nitty gritty of life. And ultimately, in the final end, it really co- does come down to this. It does come down to this, to this core issue of relationship. That's what it comes down to. Relationship with the one who created us and why are we here and what does he want from us? See, it's, it's like this. We long to belong. We want to be wanted. We desire to be desired. We hunger for fulfillment. We thirst for affection. We want healing for our hurts and the heart. I'm not talking about physical hurts here. Those two, but um, the hearts. We want to be loved. And this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is why pastors get phone calls. This is why counselors' offers stay filled with people whose lives are broken. It's because of these issues of emptiness that people turn to all these nonsense avenues of satisfaction and fulfillment that are nothing more than fluff. Empty chaff blown by the wind. You see, God has an answer to the world's basic problem. But the answer was not welcome when he sent it, and it's not welcome today. And the answer is the cross. Maybe some of you right now feel like, I'd just like to walk out. of This guy up there, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know my situation. But if you feel that way, I just encourage you to stay around and listen. Just hear me out. 
Maybe inwardly you're just balking at this, it's pushing back, and I don't blame you, and it's okay. But just let's get through this. Let me just explain. This world's a very damaged, broken place. There's so much evil, so much suffering, so much pain, so much injustice. We don't know what to do with it. Our politicians don't have the answers. Our schools don't have the answers. There is no fix for it from a human perspective. And people who try are not very successful. Just this last week, I had a conversation with a brother of mine, not from this church, but from the community, and he was talking about ways in which he was actively involved in a ministry in the community, doing his thing. I won't name any places or things. I, I know it's videotaped here. And, but he said this. He said, in that ministry, we're not allowed to actually connect with these people on the street. When we deal with them on the street, we have to, we have to keep our distance. I said, why? I said, so you're, you're dealing with this guy in this organization, but then when you meet on the street, you can't say, let's go to McDonald's for an ice cream. You can't do that. Nope, can't do that. I said, why? He said, it's a, it's a professional relationship. I said, really? That doesn't sound like Jesus. Where's the relationship factor? There are people who claim to have the answers, but then they stay disconnected. If we listen to politicians, they spout off answers. There's all this ism and that ism. But ultimately, nothing but the cross of Christ really has the answers. And I want to hope to demonstrate that, or to at least explain that this morning. The only way for humanity out of the mess in which we find ourselves today is to get back to the point where it happened, to start there and work our way forward. Let me read for you this morning some verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning verse 18. Paul writes these words, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. You want power? You want to be effective? You want to be connected? You want the source? You want to be able to have power in life? Paul knew where that came from. That comes from the cross. Is it popular? No. Is it a pretty thing? No. But is it effective? It sure is effective. Very effective. It's a perfect place to deal with the problem of sin. It's a perfect place to deal with the deepest question of life where everything comes into perspective. And you know, it's always good to pay a visit to the cross. Sin cannot survive there. Sin, the cross is far too strong, far too powerful. Sin always meets its match. Any other way that we try to deal with sin will always fail. may look good for short term, but always, always, the cross is the best way to deal with sin. Pride and arrogance die at the foot of the cross. Humility and repentance thrive at the foot of the cross. I'm reminded of the song that Jesus, um, where it says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. I'm assuming it's going to be sung here yet. I'm not sure, but I know that there were, there was, I saw something on the lyric somewhere. But anyway, at the cross, sin has to die. Self-denial and repentance can grow and rise above pride and selfishness. See, as God's children, we wrestle with the deep questions and we ask, how can we live in victory? How can we be fulfilled? How can we meet the basic, deepest needs of our lives? And in and of ourselves, we cannot. We are all broken, sinful people who by ourselves cannot stand. We fall short. We need help. 
and that is provided on the cross. When Jesus himself gave his life and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross and pay for the sins of humanity, the deed was done. But the world says it's a message of foolishness. Paul says it's a message of foolishness to those who are on their way to destruction. They're blind and dead in their sins. But for those of us who are God's children, it's power. It's wonderful news. Because now you and I have the resource that we need, the avenue that we need to deal with the problem of sin. And that's what we need. The answers to our biggest questions are answered when we're filled with God's power, when we receive and embrace the cross and live in the grace and mercy and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read some verses this morning out of Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 23. Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 23. Here are the words of Jesus himself. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. And get this. Take up your cross daily and follow me. What is interesting is he's telling us two things. The question, do you want to follow? If so, okay. Turn from your sinful ways. Turning from sinful ways in and of itself is not really the cross yet, according to what I'm seeing here. So what is taking up the cross? Turn from your sinful ways, and after you do that, then you take up your cross. Turning from our sinful ways, stop doing the wrong thing, but stopping doing wrong things does not mean we have already taken a cross. And this is also spoken to the crowd. It's not just for his disciples. It's for all who are within hearing and within earshot. And so he explains to them what this is. And one thing it's not is we have a little cross here in the front of this object here. There's a little cross there. It's carved in. It's nice, pretty. And we have a cross behind that screen there. And it's nice. And we carve crosses on our books and Bibles and who knows what all else. And and that's not what we're talking about. That's not what Jesus had in mind. What Jesus had in mind is something completely and totally different. The cross Jesus had in mind is an instrument of suffering. It's horrible, it's terrifying, disgusting, it's ugly. It's used to kill people, to humiliate, torture, and kill people. The question I want to ask, why did Jesus use such a disgusting image as a symbol of invitation, as an advertisement, as a drawing card? Isn't there anything better? Why would he use the worst, ugliest, most barbaric and painful instrument of humiliation, torture, and pain, and death as the invitation card to invite people to follow him? Come on. Who in their right mind would think of a successful advertising campaign that way? Well, one thing this does, it sure sifts out the chaff from the wheat. It sifts out those who are real and those who are fake. Those who pretend and those who believe. Maybe at this point in the sermon you're getting a bit impatient and by now think, okay, well, we get that we're not supposed to carry a physical object, and so what's the deal? Get to the point. Let me say this, what the cross is not. The cross is not when something bad happens to you. Bad things happen to all kinds of people, good people, bad people alike. Bad things happen to everybody. Good people get sick, bad people get sick. Good people lose their jobs, bad people lose their jobs. Good people get hurt, bad people get hurt. Good people get cancer, bad people get cancer. Good people get rejected, bad people get rejected. It happens to everybody. That's not the cross. Okay, so what is it? To take up one's cross simply means this. You adopt a lifestyle change where your heart toward God has changed. You value the things God values. You hate the things God hates. 
you walk the steps that Jesus walked. That's it. It's very simple and totally impossible outside of the love of Jesus. You have to, however, make that choice. And you can't even make that choice on your own. This is a decision that you have to invite God, allow Him to work in you. Just like a baby can't by itself be born, you can't do this on your own. You have to allow God to work this in you. But you alone have that in your heart and mind. You can say no if you so choose. That's why it's an invitation. You must decide to lay down your rights what you have freedom to do for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of our Lord Jesus. To embrace what he embraced, to value what he valued, and in short, to be willing to suffer. It means we choose voluntarily to live in relation with Jesus, knowing it's going to be costly. It's going to cost us something. There's sacrificing to be done. When everybody around us is doing the selfish thing. In a nutshell, it's like the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 verse 24. Galatians 5 24. It says this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Past tense. When you become a follower of Jesus, You sign up with Him. All the stuff that's the here and now, the passions and desires, they all go on the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, we don't have it here, and He dies daily. In Romans 12, verse 1, again, we don't have that on the overhead. We should give our bodies as living sacrifices. But let me go back to, to what Jesus says. He says, take up your cross daily and follow Me. He doesn't say once a day or once a week or once a month. And, and, and I, I get it. Some of you might now be saying, what about me? What about my desires? What about my wants, my dreams, my ambitions, my goals, my plans? What about them? So that's where the focus is, is it? If that's where your focus is, you're going to lose. You were never made for yourself. You were never created and put on this earth for the benefit of fulfilling your own wants and desires. You're made for a higher purpose than your own self. You're made to have your needs met, that's true. But only in living out the purpose for which you were created. And that's in living in relationship with Jesus. Our world has a different message, I get that. Fulfill your desires, you owe it to yourself. Gratify yourself. That's what all advertising does. The passions and longings of this life, they'll hold us back from following Jesus. They'll hold us back from saying no to our desires and passions. Paul says we've crucified them. And someone might say right now at this point, okay, I love Jesus, just don't want the cross. There is no separation. Jesus is not someone you can customize and tailor and make for our own wants. The cross and Christ cannot be separated. I know there's this resistance that wakes up in all of us and wants to gratify at times our selfish desires. But we must choose. And even though it's not possible to live for Jesus and self at the same time as he teaches us in in Matthew, that does not mean that we don't sometimes try. 
But the truth is, if we try to live for Jesus and live for self, we end up living for ourselves, and it's just a, just a show. We can't do both. Let's read verse 24 of Luke chapter 9, verse 24. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's a promise, not conditional upon if and when. It says, if you, hang, if you hang on, you will lose, but if you give up your life, you will save it. Not you could save it, might save it, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Maybe you have this one guy in mind, or this one organization in mind, this one business. If I could be like that, if I could have his money, if I could have their status, their their power, their popularity, if I could... No. Jesus and Jesus alone. He doesn't say, you could lose your life if you... or might lose it. He says, you will lose it. If you try to hang on, you're not going to keep it. I remember a video sermon I watched some time ago by a man named John Ortberg. He was titled, It All Goes Back in the Box. I think young adults went through some of that. I'm not sure now. But anyway, it all goes back in the box. And he used an imaginary illustration of a man who, according to this world, was considered a good citizen in his community. In the story, the character he mentions made it in this world. He had money, popularity, recognition, status, and position in his community. And he worked hard to earn it. And he rightfully did earn it. But then he lost his soul. He tried to satisfy the nature of the flesh. No, he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. But God had no room in his life. There are many, many people who fit that category in our time today. They don't want to be bad people. They don't want to be evil. They don't want to do wrong stuff. At the same time, just don't burden me down with charity or sacrificing or, or helping somebody. I, I'm busy. Jesus clearly tells us if we want to save our lives, we'll lose them. And so we give ourselves to him, take up our cross, and walk his path, and in so doing, we'll walk in relationship. I know this sounds contradictory. I know this sounds hard. But there is no other way. But there's something else I want to point out here, and I'm... I, I would be, I would, I would say this. You know, if somebody would ask me, do you believe there's people like that in the congregation? I would say, no, I don't think there's anybody like this. But it's possible to be like this. And let me just explain this. Just a word of warning here. In case there's somebody here who has these temptations. It's this. If you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, but don't have a problem taking advantage or abusing somebody else, in other words, making them carry a cross or forcing a cross on them, then you're in a very, very dangerous spot. We either carry a cross or we cause suffering. There's no middle ground here. I want to say we all want to carry our cross. If you have the thoughts that you, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to take advantage of somebody. I've heard it said, I don't know if a Christian's ever said this, but hey, you're a Christian, you're supposed to allow me to, to take advantage of you. It's your job to let me take advantage of you. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be free to, to abuse you or take advantage of you. If those thoughts cross anybody's mind, listen to Jesus, Luke chapter 20, 17, verse 1 and 2. Luke 17, 1 and 2, it says this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, There will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. That's how serious Jesus takes this whole idea of playing with sin or tempting others to sin, or causing others to sin. 
C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, every sin is in its own right a fresh fountain of evil flowing on to the end of time. In other words, we have no idea what the outcome will be, what the fruits will be, if we're the one who's causing the suffering. We're called to embrace, to carry, to endure, to persevere, but never to inflict. There are only two sides to that equation. We carry a cross or we don't. There is no middle ground. And people who think that they can take advantage of the sinful life and that it'll all be okay and good in the end, let's read what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 3, he says, I have two slides. First is, and some people even slander us by claiming we say the more we sin, the better it is. In other words, the better the power of the cross is revealed. Paul preaches on that. He says, 3 verse 8 says, that's what some people say. Let's go to the next slide. It says, those who say such things deserve to be condemned. In other words, they're in a very bad spot. Some translations say their condemnation is just. See, taking up our cross is far more serious than we think it is. It's an invitation that Jesus gives to us. He doesn't force it. But outside of their cross, there is no salvation. There is no hope outside the cross. Living the cross, the life of the cross is not popular, especially not in the, in the, in the developed world. In the developed world, the idea is do as little as you can. Get away with as much as you possibly can and still be a Christian. Take it easy. Avoid hardship. Hide if you're called to suffer. In other words, most people don't like it. Few people want it. And even fewer carry it. Maybe some of you this morning are not thinking, okay, so what? What if I try to find a middle path? Well, there is none. Let's read Luke chapter 9, verse 26. If anyone is ashamed, Jesus says, of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. He doesn't give us an option. He doesn't give us a middle ground. There's no plan A and then B and C and then plan D. There's no, just, just A and B. There's either in or out, one or the other. Jesus makes it clear. If we're ashamed of him and his message, he'll be ashamed of us. He says in one translation, he says, whoever denies me, I will deny there's only two groups that he will deal with on Judgment Day. Not a third group, only two groups of people. The saved and the lost. And I know I've preached on this before, but those who are lost will start having excuses. Well, didn't we and haven't we and didn't we? He said, I don't even know you. And it's not that he doesn't know our names. He made us, he created us, put us on this earth, and he invited us to. Those of us who will be on the left among the goats, we have no excuse. Those of us who will be on the right with the sheep, we won't even know what's really going on. We, just, we did, did we? We weren't aware of it. We were serving. We didn't think about it. There's different kinds of expressions that people use to illustrate this. And one I came across this week was an expression. Somebody said, we live in a day and age of cafeteria Christianity. That's what we want. Easy, relaxing, comfortable, convenient, predictable, secure, no problem. That's not Jesus. That's not the early church. Those are not the reformers. 
We're into individualism, <clears throat> customization of our lives, feel-good teaching, personalized stuff. Somebody wrote it, mix and match salad bar Christianity. I get what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. It's all about me. That's not the cross. What would happen to church unity if everybody would come to a meeting and say, you know what, I'm going to first decide to take up my cross before I make any decisions. I'll take up my cross. I'll listen. If we went to serve somewhere, I'll take up my cross and see what God has for me there. When it comes to our giving, comes to our serving, if the image of the cross was first and foremost in our mind, I'll die on that cross and then I'll serve, whatever capacity that may be. What would that look like? But we come with conditions and demands and circumstances. We want to control things. I'm like everybody else. Let's read Galatians 6, verse 14, the words of Paul. It says this, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. The writer to the Hebrews wrote these words, Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, Because of the joy awaiting him, meaning Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. You know, this is long-term looking. This is long-term vision here. You're sure. I mean, if you look short-term, the cross is a very difficult thing to endure. If it's, only, if it's all about here and now, but it's not. It's about eternity. These the saints, Jesus and the saints, they looked ahead. They looked to the future. Jesus was one of them. Paul was such a person. The saints in the Bible, many others. And even today, as a man, Jesus died on the cross. He carried his cross, died on the cross. As God's son, he rose. He's in authority and power now. Luke chapter 9, verse 27. And Jesus explains this a little bit more. He says, I tell you the truth, verse 27. I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. And that's what the cross does. It reveals. It brings in. It's in connection with the kingdom of God. When Jesus said these words, the church of Jesus had not yet come into existence at that time. The kingdom of God came with power at Pentecost and my understanding is when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, those people saw the kingdom of God come into action. And it's in action today. Some people might argue and say there's a different interpretation. I won't argue about that, but I do believe this. The kingdom of God is at work through the cross in the world today. And we are witnesses of that. So I want to ask, how alive and well is the cross in Leamington? Maybe our own lives, in the LEMC, in our own personal lives. I know there's people in this church, many people in this church who faithfully carry their cross and they're paying a price for it. Many countries, there's so, such severe persecution. The cross is, looks totally different there, but it's, it, it means their, their physical life and blood. I started with a question. What's your most deep and burning question in your heart? And if you could go and get that answer somewhere, what would you be willing to give, get that answer? When Jesus walked this earth, he was very much aware of what was going on. He knew what was happening. He knew what people were, were into. He knew what was going on in life. And that is why he used that instrument, that symbol of suffering. That's why that word picture was used. Because everyone understood that. I don't know what an equivalent would be in our time. So gross, so horrible, so painful. 
But what I do know is we need to get back to the cross. Jesus invited people then. He invites them still. He didn't sugarcoat the message, didn't dress it up, didn't sweeten the pot, didn't make it glitzy, no fancy advertising campaign. In fact, it was the biggest turnoff you could ever want. You wanted to get a connection with people, invite them to a life of the cross. Yeah, right. No wonder the, the Jews were angered at it. The, 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 the Greeks, they thought it was foolishness, just foolishness. But that was the power through which so many people became followers of Jesus, and it still works today. The cross is not something that happens to you. It is something you decide to carry. They're not all the same. They look different to different people. A cross can be one thing to one person, another thing to another. For one person, it simply means start being honest when you can lie and get away with it. Everybody else is lying. Why shouldn't I? Take up your cross. It means staying in a relationship where you would just so much want to just get out of that relationship. Take up your cross and continue on. Or it may mean getting out of a relationship you shouldn't be in to begin with. Take up your cross and get out. It may mean starting a different job that you always didn't want to, but you know God is calling you to. As I said, they're different to different people. But they all have one thing in common. They all do the same thing. Every single cross kills the sin nature. They all do that kind of a job. Jesus, whoever, Jesus, whoever wants to be a disciple, they must take up their cross and follow him. So what's your cross? I honestly believe that may be your biggest question in life. When you can answer that, and live it out, you'll be surprised. You will receive an inner sense of oneness with Jesus that you never knew possible. That part of your life will get straightened out, and it's like a whole bunch of other pieces, even though they don't all make sense, but at least they'll all line up. No suffering won't be over. In fact, suffering will get worse. But as you embrace the life of the cross, you'll find that you'll rather go through life with pain and suffering and joy with Jesus that have the glitzy glamour of this world, knowing it'll all end on the judgment day of when God comes back. And Jesus says, whoever refuses this will lose their soul. The distractions will continue. They will be many. All kinds of alternatives will be offered. You'll be given options and opportunities to do kinds of things that you know are wrong. Remember, Jesus walked the path of the cross so you and I could be saved from condemnation, be brought into a relationship with Him. The meaning of the cross is simply this. Through the cross, our sins are crucified, our sins are killed, the sin nature is done away with, and through the cross we come into a relationship with Jesus, and everything else flows from there. Have you thanked Jesus for the cross? I think it's important that we do that. Thank Him for inviting us to take up our cross. Thank Him for the cross. Celebrate the cross. Paul said clearly he would boast only in the cross. We can too. 
Let's embrace it. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful for the words Jesus said to us in Luke. May we always remember we're saved only because of what you did on the cross. Lord, I ask that those of us here who have made that choice in life, we would take inventory and ask, where do we need to change and walk closer to rededicate ourselves? And those who have never made that decision, that they would make that choice to surrender, repent of their sin, and walk with you. You died for our sins. You rose from the dead. You're now our Lord and Savior. May we walk in fellowship and in oneness and in unity with you, knowing what it is to be at peace and in fellowship and relationship with you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.